0: We solemnly swear we're up to no good. Hi, I'm Gary Roby. I'm Victoria Laguna. And we're the hosts of Harry Potter Minute, the fan podcast where we overanalyze the Harry Potter movies one magical minute at a time. Join us as we argue about whether or not McGonagall would meow at
1: Dumbledore. She wouldn't. As we ponder just how much Harry's fortune is worth. Just $40. As we guess how much mileage one gets out of an Ollivander wand. A hundred thousand jinxes. As we detail the ins and outs of Hogwarts Castle. He's only a model. Join us Monday through Friday, only from DuelingGenre.com. Mischief Mischief managed. Managed. Dueling Genre.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joseph Dorowski, and this week I'm joined by John Dorowski to discuss Aiden and Zoe from the graphic novel Return of the Dapper Men. Welcome, John. Thank you for having me back. Yes, you were here last week, assuming these things get re- released <laughs> in the order we're recording them, which hasn't always happened. <laughs> um, listeners, I, I'm going to guess. Compared to Frankenstein, which we just recorded an episode of with John, Return of the Dapper Men is less familiar to some of our <laughs> listeners. Uh, this was a 2010 graphic novel written by Jim McCann with art by Janet Lee, and it was originally published by Arkea, and uh, the series has been picked up for some more volumes that will be coming out in the future, and that will be through a different publisher called Top Shelf. And this uh, story is of a world of children and robots where time has stopped. Until the dapper men return to fix that problem, that that worked for a quick quick summary. Yeah. Um, and I just want to say we're going to summarize the narrative, which I think there is some amazing stuff within this narrative. There's kind of an ethereal fairy tale quality that Jim McCann lands on really well, um, and it's very evocative of a lot of our favorite children's stories you know wizard of oz alice in wonderland um peter pan that kind of feel to it but uh janet lee's art we'll talk about it but it's worth just finding this book at your local library to be able to read and appreciate her art um and some of the the work that uh is done within the storytelling through that art is is pretty special um this is uh, a graphic novel that when it came out, it won many awards. Like, uh, it was the Eisner for Best uh, Original Graphic Novel. Um, and it was, I found out about it because so many members of the comic community were just talking about it and saying, oh, this one's really good, guys. <laughs> you should all be aware of it.
1: Yeah, this was very much talked about when it first came out. Uh, I think partly for its unique art style. Mm-hmm. I, and I think
0: it's a little unfortunate. I think it kind of came and then went and didn't really have as big an impact as as a lot of people that
1: were praising it thought it would. And I think part of that is they announced a sequel which still has not come out. Yes. Uh, Though they recently announced they will be getting it out. They announced it in 2016. Okay. Uh... (laughs) Well, they re-announced because the original announcement was in the back of the first book.
0: Right. Yes. Uh, So this this volume is called Return of the Dapper Men. The sequel is going to be
1: called Time of the Dapper Men. Uh... And, And when they did the second announcement in 2016, they announced it would become a trilogy. So we have no idea about the third one yet. You still haven't gotten the second one.
0: And uh, I believe when they did that new announcement in 2016, they said it'll come out in 2018. And yes. we are nearing the close of 2018, uh, and, and it's not out yet. Not out yet, and no word for a while on yeah. it. Um, I will certainly get it when it comes out, oh, though, because yeah. I quite enjoy uh, this story. Um, Jim McCann, the author of this, so just a little bit of trivia here, uh, he was an editor at Marvel Comics before he moved into the writing side of Marvel Comics. And he is particularly associated with the characters of Hawkeye and Mockingbird. and he... helping,
1: helping revitalize
0: them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, they were definitely – b and c list characters uh and he's he's elevated them and um some of the characterizations we if if you're familiar with them in adaptations of agents of shield or um the marvel films some of jim mccann's fingerprints i think are on uh, those versions of the characters um and he also writes uh junior novelizations of a lot of the marvel
1: films well i was trying to track down what he's doing currently because he's not done a lot of comic book work in the last few years uh and that is what popped up on Amazon was he was attached to a lot of these junior novelizations. I know um, – I think
0: it was before he was working at Marvel. He was working um, as a writer on some soap operas. Uh, and so he's done some television work yeah. as well.
1: I, a lot of comic book writers transition to television or film. Or
0: from a lot of, yeah. a lot of comic book Depending
1: on what's paying better at the time. Yes, exactly. And, and, but when they do that, they kind of disappear from uh, – they're like their names aren't associated with comics anymore. Yeah, and you just never hear about them I, I for know, a long time. Another big
0: one is um a lot of great comic book artists disappear for like three or four years, and they're doing stu- storyboard art on big uh, summer blockbusters that pays a lot better than the page rate of comic yes. books. And they're still doing amazing art. It's just it's done kind of as a behind the scenes element of storytelling that we don't end up seeing the way that you see comic book art right on the page. Yes. Um, the art in this is something special, and it's really unique um it's using a style that's called decoupage um which what Janet Lee does, and they describe it in the back of the book there's a, a great essay by Jim he kind of says here just so you all know, appreciate <laughs> what yeah. Janet Lee is doing um she takes a piece of wood of pine right a panel of pine, and well, she cuts uh, it
1: she so you start you still do the page a uh, lot as you normally would but Kind of don't do the backgrounds. Right. Do the so, main characters. So she, you she does. The, you have the grid pattern laid out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So she has her panels. So she she draws a lot of the characters. Uh, well, like you said, the, the characters in the, uh, the buildings and stuff on a traditional comic book artboard. And she actually colors them by hand on that board, which is not something that's done very often now at all no. in, in comic art. Almost but all comic art today. Necessary for
1: this process.
0: Yes. <laughs> for decoupage, you got to do it this way. Uh, almost all comic art today that's published is done, is colored digitally. Yeah. Um, even if uh, quite often it is drawn by hand and then scanned, but then those scans are what are colored. She. Does, uh, with markers, the color directly on the white, uh, panel board that she's using for, for the comic art. Um, and it, it mentioned, like, specifically said, there's five different colors of, of red markers that are just slightly off in shading that are used to make the hair of the dapper man. Yeah, that's
1: one of the things that I was, started to wonder about when I read that is like, how, if you're calling by hand, how you get all that shading uh-huh. of, uh, Tones and tints, and it's you're using the colors
0: that are right in the same family, just very yeah. carefully and with a lot of knowledge about how shadow and oh, shading yeah. works. <laughs> um There's something about this that is that I really think is deceptively simple. I think the art and this is mm-hmm. the, you know it, it looks simple when you see it, but once you start to understand the process that really goes into it, you're like, oh no, yeah. this is not simple at all. So she has now worked out the panel grid structure, and she's drawn in the characters and colored them. She's going to cut out all those color those all around
2: the
1: characters perfectly, like yeah.
0: Perfectly. Yes. Uh, I think and in the uh, – We don't
1: want to imagine how many times she might have had to go, go back and try <laughs> and fix something or maybe redraw.
0: I, I think in the essay in the back he says five different kinds of scissors are used depending four, on – Four or five. Yeah, what kind of cut is needed that, that – you know, to get the angle just perfectly tight. And then these are going to be pasted onto uh, a panel of wood okay. that she has colored in some way or in some instances um, she's done other stuff to the wood. So – uh the the example that we get in the back of the book is she she stains and paints it red uh, so that you still can kind of see that it's wood, but it also has this these weird streaks of redness, and that's gonna become the red sky of a sunset yeah. um in this. And now that she puts the panels onto the wood and she uses Mod Podge to put it on, as um Jim McCann says, this simultaneously makes a very unique tone to the art that's present and also a wall hanging of every single page
1: <laughs> exists because well, it's after the page is on you then varnish it over the page yeah you so. mod
0: podge it and then sometimes varnish as well and then uh, the word balloons get uh, put on the front of that usually yeah. is what I think was said um for that. But th- those are done by hand as well. I can't. Re- I think those were after the varnish. I can't remember why because it seems like that would be underneath. But it, I think it was the final thing was putting on the word blues. Well, uh, lettering is a different yeah. art. Uh huh. Um, but as Jim McCann said, like every single one of these pages from this book actually exists as a perfect piece of varnished wood yeah. <laughs> that, that could be hung on a wall. Um, and in talking about. One of my other favorite parts of this, I think, it's since we're talking about this art process right now, it's worth noting. Um, this is very evocative of fairy tale, of Alice in Wonderland, of
1: um, Peter Pan. Yeah, um, the, there's, the style of art you you can see relating to some of the classic fairy tale mm-hmm. artists, but also the story itself. And one thing
0: that she does is on some of the pages, she has glued. Pages from a book onto the wood Board and painted over those but some of the text Of those pages is still present and so Underneath this story of uh, Aiden and Zoe and the Dapper Men There's actually hints of the text of Alice in Wonderland That are going behind it like you're seeing the foundational Texts that have inspired this very Story
1: present on the pages themselves And I love that yeah, <laughs> so it's, much uh, It's Once you Read the process you get Like it looks great and you'd be impressed but then you read The process like oh this is really impressive Yeah <laughs>
0: um okay so the art uh i I, we're still in the trivia section but it's just worth really acknowledging janet lee's art and and uh
1: you mentioned some some stuff about the coloring i will also say in that essay they also talk about how carefully planned it is that uh when the dapper men come not only uh they also bring some new colors and so the color palette changes slightly when the dapper men show up and so it's there are subtle things like that that you're not going to realize just reading. It's that has to be pointed out,
0: right? That that um, should still like it evokes things in us as an audience, mm-hmm. and implicitly we feel something different, even if it, we couldn't explicitly point and say, "Oh, yeah. there's the color change." Um, and that's my favorite kind of story. Like um, the the having the Alice in Wonderland page peeking through. That's something everyone's going to notice, and I love it. Yeah, everyone's going to notice it. But there is also the more subtle kind of, uh, you know, transitions and, and manipulations of the audience It's gonna make us feel the pages are different from one to the next. Even if you don't immediately say, aha, I see exactly what you're doing. They're skillful enough as, as storytellers and collaborators to manipulate us in that way too. Yes. Um, just, uh, one final note, McCann and Janet Lee also collaborated on a comic book series. Uh, that was called lost Vegas. Have you ever read that
1: one? I'm not familiar no, with it. Okay. I haven't read it. I just know that after return of the deployment, I that was their next project. Mm-hmm. And, Apparently they've been working on these other two volumes for years. Yes, which and I, given the art I can understand I'm taking years on that side.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Alright, well before we get to the full synopsis, we want to thank each and every one of you for listening. And
1: if I may uh come in here. Listeners, this is not uh uh this podcast is given for free, but it does cost money. Not a lot, but it does cost money. And for as little as a quarter a week, you could support Joseph in this podcast and help him to achieve his humble dream of having enough money to swim around in, like, Uncle Scrooge.
0: (laughs) Yes. If, uh, if it was possible to have the rights to any of it, we could just put any Sarah McLaughlin song under yes. <laughs> exact,
1: That's exactly the toy. Yes, I want it. There's
0: A- ASPCA uh, ads on TV that uh, I use those uh, in, my, in my writing class when we're talking about Ethos, Logos, and Pathos. I, I, put, uh, I, I put up the Sarah McLaughlin uh, Animal Shelter ads just to say, this is Pathos, guys. Okay, I think we're yes. all on board. We all understand Yes, and
1: <laughs> Andrew, I seriously want you to make me sound as pathetic as possible right <laughs> okay.
0: there. Um, but again, we just want to thank you for listening. And if you'd like to support the show financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters at any level receive access to special quick casts uh, that we try and release monthly. And you, any patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. All right, so now we're going to have a our full synopsis of Return of the Dapper Men. This story takes place a long time from now in a location that is just called Anarev. Verona backwards. The only people there are children the age of 11, who mostly live underground, and robots, who mostly live above ground. Why this is remains a mystery, but the prologue explains. Tick, tock, on and on went the world. Tick, tock, tick, tock, until one day there was no talk. With no talk, there could be no tick, and all that was left was no. No time, only stillness. No night, only day. No past, only now. And then the world carried on, and everyone forgot about a time before, or the idea of a tomorrow. Our heroes are a little robot girl named Zoe and a little boy named Aiden, who are friends. And we learn that the children and the robots don't really mix, so this is very unusual. Also, Aiden goes around above ground, while all the other children live underground. Zoe never talks, but we made a kind robot couple who like Aiden, and an evil robot man named Fabre, Fabre, F-A-B-R-E I'm glad you pronounced it first I was going to go there, probably Fabre Uh, And this evil robot Fabre is in love with the clockwork clockwork angel in the sky You see, there is a woman frozen in the sky (laughs) And Fabre tries to build a structure that is tall enough to reach her but he never can He thinks Zoe, for some reason, could fly if only she had wings, but she doesn't uh, and he seems ready to kind of grab Zoe and force her to help him reach the clockwork angel in the sky when the kindly robots stop Fabre from taking Zoe. And Aiden and Zoe run away, and they go to a theater, though they don't really know what the theater is for. Like, we as an audience see it and say, oh, that's a stage. <laughs> this is a place for plays. They don't know what it is at all. It's just where they happen to be. Um, and while they're there, Aiden opens a trapdoor on the stage, and they go down into the underground where the children are. But the children don't like the robot Zoe. Just like Aiden is the only child that goes above ground, Zoe is the only robot that goes below ground. And in particular, there's a girl named Harmony, which often gets shortened to harm, which is subtle but perfect. Well, not subtle, but perfect. <laughs> I guess I should say. Uh, and Harmony is bossy and in charge, and she doesn't want Zoe around. And while Harmony is yelling at Aiden and Zoe to take Zoe back upstairs, suddenly there is a loud and resonant talk. It's just this onomatopoeia going across the page that just says talk. Then. T-O-C-K. <laughs> yes. Then a tick. And then another talk. And time is now moving forward. Aiden and Zoe run up, uh, up above ground and they see, floating down from the sky, 314 dapper men. John, I do you want to try and describe the dapper men?
1: <laughs> I believe there's a great line in there that describes as well as they were the most dapper gentlemen you have ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And To add credence to this, Tim Gunn writes the foreword to this book. Yes. <laughs> uh, Tim Gunn,
0: noted dapper gentleman, yes. uh, host of the uh, Project Runway. Former host. No. For- former host of Project Runway. Um, and uh, when you think of a dapper man, just imagine Tim Gunn. And that's kind of what we have floating yeah. off from the sky, but with redder hair and greener hats. <laughs> so they have on white pants, black and white striped ja- dress jackets, blue ties, green hats, and an umbrella that is hooked over their arms. Uh, and all three, of them look identical. Um, most of the Dapper men land and silently begin walking around Anarev, but one stops and speaks to Aiden and Zoe. Eventually, we're going to call this one number 41. Uh, so I'm just going to do that for simplicity in this, in the summary, but at this point he's just the only one that talks and that's what makes him special. He speaks in sort of riddles and abstractions, answering questions that aren't asked and responding to explicit questions with other questions. It's kind of like the doctor is what his speech pattern remind me of. Like yeah. when, when the doctor first meets someone in the, in the doctor who TV show, a lot of times he's just saying what sounds like nonsense, but is actually going to be meaningful later on that sort of thing. Um, and this dapper man, he just wants some nice tea. I guess it's kind of also like the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> um, but since time has stopped... Nothing is growing, and also there are no leaves to dry out. So there is no tea in this world. But this Dapper Man coaxes a plant to grow and its leaves to dry in just seconds. And then he goes looking for a teapot in Aiden's house. He finds one and makes tea, but before he can enjoy it, another silent Dapper Man walks by, looks at him, and number 41 refocuses. (laughs) And he tells Zoe uh, to take the boy and show him what he needs to see. While Zoe runs off with Aiden, we see Fabre watching the Dapper Man through a spyglass. Having seen the, these Dapper Men float down from the sky, Fabre deduces that he needs a hat, an umbrella, in order that he may fly. Because again, his whole goal is to get up into the sky to see the robot angel in the sky. So he tries on every hat that he has to no avail. This is a great sequence of just panel after panel of panel of just more and more absurd hats. Uh, Zoe, uh, shows Aiden, the floating angel, which is a large robot with wings and a face that looks a lot like Zoe's and hair that looks like Zoe's. Zoe has this metallic red hair. That's kind of like the dapper man's hair. Uh, and this floating angel, uh, is also holding 12 Roman numerals in one hand that are attached to chains. So she's got these chains in her hand and down at the bottom of the chains are 12 different Roman numerals, uh, one through 12 and also chimes are in her other hand. And Aiden can't quite work out what Zoe wants him to know, but he starts asking questions, which is a good place to start and something that no one has been doing for a very long time. Uh, Then 41, uh, uh, Aiden goes back to 41, the the dapper man who speaks, and um, 41 tells Aiden that he's going to go to sleep and dream now, which is something that Aiden can't remember ever having done. And uh when Aiden falls asleep, he dreams and he sees scene- surreal scenes of the Dapper Man making the world and then leaving. And when Aiden wakes up, he talks with the Dapper Man and says, I saw who I am and Zoe and everyone, what we were a long time ago. Uh, but there was more. I think I saw what I'm going to be. And the Dapper Man says, that's destiny. And then Aiden says, and if I don't want it? And the Dapper Man says, that's choice. And then Aiden asks, so what's the point of having one if the other could happen? Which one is right? And the Dapper Man says, that, my dear boy, is life. <laughs> uh, the children are confused about what is going on. And they come up from the underground and they see the sun setting for the first time ever. So you get the sense that they've seen above ground. They just never really come up here. And this is different. So this is where the sky is red in the art that we were talking about before. And Fabre wants the Dapper Man's hat so that he can fly. He's really convinced the hat is key <laughs> key to flight here. And the Dapper Man gives him the hat. But then it does nothing for Fabre. Then, uh, Aiden, he grabs onto Zoe's hands, and they run off a cliff. But as they step off, Zoe sprouts ring- wings, and they fly up to the clockwork work angel in the sky. And they land on the shoulder of the statue, which is much larger than them. So they're standing on the, so- on, on the shoulder, and it's like they're ants on a human's shoulder. Yeah, they shoulder. They're, they're
1: like the Statue of Liberty in size for the clockwork uh-huh. angel.
0: Um, and they land on the shoulder, and then the eyes start glowing of the large angel robot. Um... And it looks directly at Zoe. And then the angel starts to fall apart. (laughs) Which, as we just said, this is a very large statue, very high up in the sky. It falling is going to have some repercussions. And it starts to completely collapse around them. And Zoe grabs the ring that is around the chains that, uh, you know, at the bottom of those chains is dangling the Roman numerals. And uh, it's too heavy for her to carry, though. So Aiden yells that they need help. And the dapper man says, it's about time you asked. And he throws an umbrella across from the cliff All the way up into the sky, this umbrella maybe has magical properties, uh, because it it, Mary Poppins type umbrella. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) it arrives very quickly uh, with Aiden, and Aiden. Opens up the umbrella and he holds on to the ring and Zoe holds on to the ring and she has her wings sprouted and they are able to fly uh down from the angel just as it falls apart completely. And now the crashing angel uh makes the ground shake and the section of the cliff where the da- dapper man who has been speaking, number 41, it collapses and he closes his eyes peacefully as he falls down. After... Making sure everyone else was safe. Yes, he turns and yells for everyone to back away, and then the section of the cliff that he's standing on collapses right out from under him. Then the silent dapper men who have been around come, and they gather around his body at the bottom of the cliff, and then they open up their umbrellas, and 313 dapper men rise into the sky to leave. Aiden runs to the underground burrow where the children had been living and he tears down the structures that are there so that they will have to stay on the surface. And when he comes up to the surface, a green hat with the number 41 stitched stitched inside of it blows and lands at Aiden's feet. The robots take the children into their homes above ground, remembering that they once lived together. Aiden begins dressing like a di- dapper man, and every day he goes to see, to see Zoe, the new angel in the sky, who's holding the chains with the numbers of a clock out. Uh, and, and it's not quite clear how she's holding them out, but they are in a perfect paddle of a pattern of a clock face now. Yeah,
1: that, the ending is a little ambiguous yeah. on some of these things. Yes, and As- it's, as many fairy tales yes it. and that is the end and
0: speaking of the ambiguity it's not clear does he go have conversations with her does she ever come down from this guy that's not answered in this yeah it's just we've reached this new status quo uh and he has a new role as a pseudo dapper man <laughs> inside of this well, world
1: and the end well we don't know we just know he's dressing as a dapper man yes uh, and he we, has an umbrella yeah and, and so we happens. uh we don't know what this new world is yet that's in the promised sequel. <laughs> yes, which is going to be called long Time Prom- of the Dapper yes, Men. Yes, the long promised sequel.
0: Which is a significant element of the story, time. So it makes yes. sense that the next one's called Time of the Dapper Men. Yeah. Um, one thing that I wanted to make sure we touched on in talking about this is The Age of Eleven. it is so important in so many fairy tales and so many uh young adult middle grade and even children's literature this point of transition and um i think it's really interesting that they
1: they freeze all of the humans exactly at the age of 11 we we don't know the past yet so why there are only 11 year olds yes like we probably assume there were other people who have something moved. something <laughs> yes it died or moved
0: on to another world yeah. got taken we don't away. We know yeah. nothing <laughs> but in, in this world that we're yeah. seeing there are only these 11 year old uh, children and they're they're paused i mean that's the age of adolescence it is the transition from childhood into young adulthood um and uh they're stuck there as just as this entire world is stuck there
1: yeah and there's, uh you mentioned this a couple times it's actually uh referred to this as a fairy tale or a fairy tale esque story several times. And I find that very intriguing uh, when you actually look at what fairy tales are because I don't see this as a traditional fairy tale mm-hmm. uh, because partly is that it's only very recently that ch- fairy tales are for children. Right. Uh, it's really in the 19th century with the Brothers Grimm, uh, when they first published their uh, fairy tales, they then do seven revisions and kind of clean it up as they go along to make it safer for children because they, it's... Actually, the German title is like Children and Household Tales. Right. And and then and, Disney really
2: cleans them up. Yeah, and so it's,
1: <laughs> uh, it's really the late 19th century is when fairy tales become for children. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, then there's the other issues of what is the purpose of fairy tales because they're not quite morality stories. They're not a sub fables. Uh, you don't necessarily end with moral, but there is often a message. And all this gets wrapped up in this uh, this other stuff like – Pinocchio and Peter Pan aren't fairy tales, but they're. They get treated as fairy tales. have been, have been tales. folded into that genre. Well,
0: well even, um, I mean, if you want fairy tales to just be kind of the folkloric aspect, another one, like Hans Christian Andersen, is often credited with writing fairy tales. Yeah. But really, the if well, the nature of fairy tale is this kind of ambiguous authorship and stories that have been passed down. Well,
1: actually, no, because that is one of the key differences when you get into fairy tale studies. Okay. Is folklore is the oral tradition, mm-hmm. fairy tales. Uh, were usually written originally. Uh, they may have been based on it, but we can trace specific authors who. But this oh, is okay. where we have the first ones, usually starting Renaissance or is, uh, 1600s, uh, is where the bulk of the original fairy tales come from. See,
0: I always associate yeah. fairy tales with that kind of ethereal authorship that's it's just passed down.
1: Yeah, and that's the popular consciousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, like there are arguments, like the Grimm brothers did collect these stories from. Uh, women and that's part of it also is it was usually uh women's stories not necessarily children's stories but uh these were women uh stories that women told when they got together uh because there's often a message about how women should behave or to protect themselves in some way uh so like when you get into the actual tradition of them i don't think this falls into the category but when you get into the modern idea of the popular consciousness Yes, we would fold this in into the broad fairy tale folklore kind
0: mm-hmm. one that's what he's working from as well. Yeah, so, like some think... of the texts that he specifically mentions, uh, or Jim McCann well, I say him because he was the writer, but also Janet Lee working together. Yes, yeah, so... um, on this in their introduction, they say for oh, let me find it to anyone who ever fell down a rabbit hole, so Alice in Wonderland, walked to the sidewalk's end, shell silver Silverstein. So, not, not yeah, that's not fairy, fairy tale at all, dance to Wild Rumpus, isn't that um, where, where the, the wild, wild things, things are. Uh, and that's Sandak. Yeah. right? Uh, or Follow the Second Star to the right, so Peter Pan, and that's uh, Barry, right? Mm-hmm. So so all of those have very specific authors. They're not, again, that, that yeah. uh, idea of the folklore fairy tale at all. These are very specifically authored yeah, fairy like, tales. Yeah, oh,
1: like Pinocchio and Wizard of Oz is usually folded in as yeah, well. Yeah, Frank L. Baum. Um, mm-hmm. So I think part of it is it's tales for children that have a magic element, but there's also a specific tone mm-hmm. that make them – fairytale s yes
0: so to finish the introduction so he says to anyone who ever fell down a rabbit hole walked down to uh to walk to the sidewalk's end danced a wild rumpus or followed the second star to the right may you find adventure wonder and a little something from which dreams are made in these pages mm-hmm. and
1: i think it actually absolutely does
0: fit in with those
1: worlds right yeah And i think another thing with fairy tales is is something that's read on multiple levels mm-hmm. i don't think return of the development was written for children
2: no, it but I think ri- children it could enjoy for
1: it. a general audience. Yes. And there are a lot of things that children will find in it that will be very different from what adults find in it. Yeah, I, I think there's, um,
0: you know, d- different meanings depending on where you're at, yeah. right? And I mean, it's a book about these transitional stages of life. So there could be some elements of nostalgia or wistfulness for adults, you know, looking back at um, childhood. There could be elements of looking forward for children, mm-hmm. uh, you know, into
1: into, into adulthood. And, and looking forward for both the... Uh, exciting things, and the scary things. Mm -hmm. Because this change... Uh, is scary
0: yeah and um like you said there's there's layers of meaning so like the, there's the segregation of the robots and the children mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's something that maybe kids aren't gonna dwell too much on other than thinking that's a little weird yeah. um uh, but you know segregation and the desegregation as the finale like the act three uh, you know the uh the epilogue is and we came together and lived together like that's a very explicit message <laughs> um that is there about our modern society so the the commentary about society and prejudice is yeah. is present it's using robots and children instead of race or gender or nationality or religion or whatever uh you know the prejudice might be segregating people at, the, at this time uh so it, it does the abstraction and and the move to metaphor um for it but I, I think it's definitely there
1: i think that's very interesting with the uh segregation you said uh because for most of the robots most of the children they don't care you have Harmony and Fabre, who kind of, who are the ones who kind of say, the robot doesn't belong down below, and Aiden doesn't belong up above. They're the ones who are concerned with these roles. But there's the kindly robot couple. Yeah, but, mo- but most of and- everybody else, uh, they just are completely ambivalent about it. It's like, the, they, they just, this is the way things are, let's just keep going with it. They don't care one way or the other.
0: Right, so when Zoe comes down, some of the other kids say, we don't
1: care, but she's Harmony's really loud. Yeah. <laughs> and so we want you gone. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, and so uh, you have the questions of who's making these rules, uh, who decides that we should be separate, Mm -hmm. and for most of them, it's well, that's the way things have always been, and that's, right? Which, that's which also, tradition is what well, you yeah, know? Th- also this, a reflection of society,
0: yeah. And and the call to kind of uh, not to break from all traditions, but to question: What is the origin of your traditions? Yeah, like uh, um, so. The logical fallacy of appeal to tradition is just saying, "Well, we should do something because of the way it's always been." That's not actually the reason. Why has it always been done that way? And is that a good reason yeah. to continue doing it? Um, and I think this is. I think some of the commentary within this is actually you know saying. Well, question your traditions, not for the sake of breaking down traditions, but to
1: say, yeah. is this the way it really should be still? Yeah, it's not the down traditions for the sake of breaking it, but question them and interrogate them and say – does this still work for us in our present society? Yeah, and um, certainly there are traditions that exist for very good reasons, and would still we
0: should still continue doing those things that way. Yeah, um, and it's not saying again just willy nilly just because it's been done we have to do something wildly different. Saying well, let's let's think about how things
1: have been. Yeah, I think this is again one of the things about fairy tales is uh, you get these allegorical meanings you, you ha- have to pull apart, and the yeah, segregation is pretty obvious uh-huh. in the story. But as you say, like children might not notice it right away because they're in a different world and most of the time they're not going to care about segregation it's only (laughs) as they grow continue growing up that they start to break out into the Mm -hmm. uh in the various or
0: become aware of it yeah Yeah,
1: various cliques and various groups
0: Mm what but this um this one of tradition i don't think it's hit over the head with but Mm -hmm. it's definitely there (laughs) right yes um and in how that gets built in i think there's something fascinating about this idea of the world where like time stopped and it just did yeah. <laughs> you know w- w- you you just have to accept that okay this is a fairy tale world and that's the way this is right here
1: well i think that um when it comes to calling it a fairy tale i actually compared it a lot to the fairy tales of oscar wilde mm-hmm. who uh was actually very christian in his fairy tales mm-hmm. uh and i thought there were a lot of religious themes built into this this idea that time stops and no one grows old, nothing changes, is kind of an Edenic state. It's why we like, we think Garden of Eden, a lot of people imagine something like that. There's no death. There's no yeah, progression. Person, Everything is just, just living at a an, thriving moment. Yeah, an eternal now. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what changed that for Adam and Eve was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Aiden is asking questions. He wants knowledge. And it's implied that that's what brings the change. Yeah, that's well, what starts things well, off.
0: Like when uh, there's a phrase early on where it says um, some people had answers, but everyone had forgotten to get a- what the questions were. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, so so there's knowledge around, but no one's asking any questions, and it's him. Like when he when he said tells Zoe the the girl robot that never speaks go show him and she like is yeah. actively pointing at the robot in the sky he's like what do you want me to know and and it's kind of like oh you're finally asking questions yes <laughs> the, that is actually the impetus for uh this the, for encouraging the transition that needs to take place that has been um damned in its progression for for however long they've been like this uh to actually begin to see change
1: yes and then uh the dapper men are like angels and you do have an angel in the sky mm-hmm. uh and how the deprimands speak uh or number 41 speaks where it seems like riddles that's a lot of how we kind of see prophecy in the old testament Is like god will say something but we don't understand right now what that means but it it's will only have in, meaning later yeah it's only in hindsight that we understand what that's about and so that kind of riddle speak that we see with uh religion that uh comes up and then uh 41 somewhat of a christ figure sacrificing himself for others to bring about this important change and uh, uh, that one might be pushing it a little well, bit know,
0: but there's the inspiring follower right yeah. and, you know that to take up his name like literally he puts on the hat that has number 41 with it so i think yeah. there's something there
1: yeah and so i but when we get to what the actual religion is like i say, i see a lot of christianity themes but i think um how they built the world with Underground is a lot of clockwork gears. Mm-hmm. And it's the, almost the, steampunky. Yeah, and the idea that time stop and you need those gears to start moving again. Uh, for me, it was a lot of deism, mm-hmm. which is a not necessarily religion, but more of a philosophical movement from the Enlightenment where they were trying to set, give a rationale for religion, basically. like mm-hmm. We can rationalize how religion yeah. should work. and Their idea was that the universe was created by a god. Who then left and just kind of set it off in motion. Set it in motion, and so it's kind of literally a clockwork universe where we're just uh, going around, and God doesn't interfere, Mm -hmm. but He did create everything. Yeah, because I get that sense here that uh, this clockwork world that
0: the Dapper Man created. Right? we're told in His dream, if we're going to accept that dream as Mm -hmm. truth, that He's being given at that moment in kind of a prophetic way. uh, This world was made by by the prophetic dream. Yeah, the world was made by the Dapper Man. and he's—we he, don't see his vision of what his role is going to be. We're just told that he has more of that. Um, but it specifically says we built, we, we made the world, but we didn't build anything that was for others. Uh, I, I think that's one
1: of the lines during the dream is like mm-hmm. we didn't build, we just made yeah. this world, and, and then they left, like, a- and, and they the wanted world. to see what they, kind of wanted yeah. to see how it would work. Mm-hmm. And it's only that nothing's happening that they need to interfere. Uh, there was another line of uh, like someone was questioning the Dapper. and it's like. Uh, you you shouldn't be questioning where we've been. You should be asking where you should have been going. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, the when you mentioned like there's the underground and there's this idea that the gears are needed for the time. It made me think of one of my favorite moments in all of cinema. In <laughs> one uh, that we haven't talked about yet, uh, the the Coen Brothers film. Oh, the name oh. just gave me. Um, um Proxy. Hunso- Proxy. I thought you were going yeah. to come Metropolis here. No, hudsucker Proxy, <laughs> where uh, the film has. Largely been realism. Uh I mean it's an exaggerated realism throughout. And then there's a character that's falling to his death, and then he pauses and doesn't hit the ground, and it cuts to a shot inside of a, a, a clock, and a worker has shoved a broom handle into the gears to stop time. So magical realism. <laughs> yeah, let's it, say. It suddenly yeah, it suddenly transitions into magical realism. Uh, like it is a very big tonal shift for mm-hmm. the final act, uh, when the clock gets stopped <laughs> all of a sudden. Uh and all of time pauses. Um And there's something I find very pleasing about those kinds of stories where it's like, okay, there's this one thing, and now something's going to get layered on. This one from the very beginning, we're layered on. Like, this one's all fantasy. Um, But – there's also the science fiction elements of the robots. Like, so there's very, yeah. uh, you know, she's doing decoupage art, but there's almost something pastiche in the elements that get pulled in from lots of different sources to tell something new, right? Mm. Like, I'm not saying that this is derivative of these other works. He's just recognizing the shoulders on which he's standing and telling this story with this tone. And, um, and, and sometimes the nods are explicit, like in the introduction or in the pages that get pasted yeah. into the background. Um, and I, I think that, all story is that like it's a progression of like well what we've read and have consumed is what we're going to build upon and he's building upon and and he and she uh jim and and janet are both going to be building upon all these you know this this big idea of fairy tale with meaning yeah. and now here's a new version of that
2: yeah and
1: just have another religious allusion was uh Frawberry's house. He's trying to build it up so he can. Oh, it's reach. the Tower of Babel. Yeah. yeah, he's trying to reach God. Yes, <laughs> and never can. Yeah, and I don't think you're
0: straining when you say mm-hmm. there's some religious elements. I mean, there's angels. There's again that well, that yeah. was pretty clearly
1: the Tower of Babel to me. Yeah.
0: Uh, reading it.
1: Uh, and like I said, this is where I think the best comparison is uh, the fairy tales of Oscar Wilde, which are very Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: um, let's talk a little bit about Aiden and Zoe. So Zoe is silent, so yeah. we we don't know what she's thinking throughout. But Aiden gives a lot of voice, and I guess it, it, we haven't said, it, but he is an African American boy. So we have this weird pairing of this robot girl with bright red hair, this um, African American boy who are going to change the entire world. And I think it's both the the, the child uh, nature is something that is where we, where it's you kind of say, well, that's not the protagonist I expect. This to change the entire world is in eleven year old, but at the same time there are so many stories about the children who changed the world. Yeah. Right. Um, so I, I think it's, it's not um, an odd choice, but it's also, it, it does feel like, okay, this is going to be our heroes is the kid <laughs> is, yeah. is the kid. Like there, there's often that pause uh, that happens when it happens, but it's not uncommon. So it's, it's, it doesn't really wrinkle. It's just kind of, we, we, uh, I, I think the expectation is often that the adults are in charge and yeah. this is the world, but that's not the case.
1: I think one of the nice things about aid is uh he's not one of the uh and critics complain about this sometimes where the children uh are really just acting like miniature adults they already know everything and they mm-hmm. are uh they can figure everything out for themselves right. and um aiden is never at that level he's asking questions he doesn't get all the answers but he knows enough to act
0: well and, and his acting doesn't feel out of character for any level
1: yeah.
0: um and it's always in the pursuit of knowledge Mm-hmm. right uh but like you said it doesn't feel like this is uh someone who's like steeped in philosophy yeah. it, or or, a, it, never... or is um or is the hyper brilliant precocious yes. child
1: that can you know see the puzzle that no one else sees and, and fit the pictures he's not that yeah he's trying to figure it out he's putting he's gathering the pieces but he doesn't know what the And he's a mentor looks. who's guiding him yeah. along he in a kind have... of esoteric but, way and, <laughs> yeah and that's the that's another great thing is you have the mentor but it's um it's a mentor who's not giving answers mm-hmm. um but it never feels like he's withholding answers and that's what, like you can have literature that's very frustrating where a character and this is just like life where you're trying to learn something and you have the mentor and you kind of just say just tell me how to do this just show me or do it yourself uh because i can't figure it out that the mentor's like but you can, You're Like Just take the time, and you get very frustrated. But it never feels that way with forty-one. Mm-hmm. It's like he's there, and he can give you the push, and he maybe say something cryptic, but you can feel that it is guiding you in a mm-hmm. direction. And um, it. And also, Aiden doesn't get frustrated
0: enough, which is a nice yes. uh, trait. Yeah, and I was gonna say the the kind of directions that they get from forty-one, it simultaneously feels like. There are limitations
1: what forty one can say, mm-hmm. um, but he, he doesn't want to just give answers. He want them he wants them to discover.
0: Yes, he want, but it's also um, he's using or, or, or the way that the limitations are acting is for the growth of Aiden and Zoe. Yeah, right. Um, that you know they I, and it's not like he said it's not like things are completely withheld from them. He says, "Hey, you need to go to sleep, and you're gonna have a dream." Oh. <laughs> there's the creation of the world and my future <laughs> just laid out in front of me. Um, and we, some of that gets withheld from us as readers. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, it was given to him, but I, and I, and you get some fun philosophical questions that they get asked, um, which I think are natural questions to ask, even as an 11 year old. It's not like, again, hyper precocious. Yeah. Knows more than an 11 year old is supposed to know or anything like that. Um, I think they're, they're natural questions and like you said, a little cryptic in, in mm-hmm. the answers, but also um, the kind of crypticness that I think, there, there could be a, like a faux depth with cryptic ac- yes. answers, but I think there's some
1: legitimate depth <laughs> in the cryptic answers that number forty-one gives. Yeah, I think there there's a great panel in there where the robots and the people are gathered um, because of all the change happening, and he's and forty-one is lecturing him about why were you separated. And he says uh, something along the lines of, uh, "You don't know uh, that if they created you." And you don't know what purpose you might have been created for. And someone says, um, you're not looking at us, so we can't tell who you're talking to. And it's like, that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're like, you're, I'm not talking to what, the separate groups. You've got to figure out for yourselves what this is. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, And the great thing about uh, Aiden and Zoe is uh, – I mean, again, we've got – the boy who starts asking all the questions and the girl who is silent, but seems to know something, but can't quite communicate not everything though. And that's also yes, key. Something. It's like, she it's not knows like, something.
1: Yeah. Like, not like, again, the, no one's withholding information. Yes. Is, but you know frustratingly, uh, there was a, a novel made into a film called the maze runner. And it was the most frustrating read I've ever had because the character shows up, no memory in this strange environment. And everyone around him is like, we know what's going on, but we're not going to tell you. You have to figure it out for yourself. It's like, Tell them some answers because people are getting killed. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, and and number forty-one is giving, you know, is nudging them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Like uh,
1: that's that's the opposition I see is a case where someone has answers, just holding them, withholding them, in order to like the goal is to make you learn, but you end up getting hurt. Whereas here, it's uh, we might have more knowledge than you, but. You need to figure this but, out. But now. also, you it need feels – You to earn But it does knowledge. feel
0: like there's some restraints on number 41. Oh, yeah. We don't know what they are, but it, there are some reasons that he's only saying what he is saying. Yes. Uh, and, and there's enough um, vague sense of outside forces and outside powers that you just kind of say, okay.
1: Yeah, <laughs> there's magic in this world, basically.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, well, I, like none of the other departments speak. 41 has special privilege to be able to speak at all. But yeah. it also makes sense that there's still constraints upon him in that role.
2: Yeah
1: um speaking about the segregation that goes on one of the other things is that it's subtly pointed out that the humans and robots are probably more connected than they realize and they need each other yeah they need each other but also there is some connection with them and with the dapper man because it's harmony who's a redhead points out we have the same hair and she's looking at the dapper man and the Dapper Man then goes to Zoe and Plexiglas is like, yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah. And, so like, and the angel in the sky has the red hair. And so he's it's like, it's saying, yeah, we have some connections here that and we're not going to explain. Yeah, it can- is not explained at yeah, all in this. We can, I imagine that's part of the future. Yeah. But it's uh, in this case, it's giving them questions so that they want to know, mm-hmm. so that they will start progressing again.
0: Yeah. Um yeah because that um lack of curiosity and that simple mm-hmm. acceptance of the way things are is what they are is what is stopping their progression yes um, i I mean okay, time has stopped, so there's something super mystical <laughs> <laughs> about this, uh but part of the message or theme of this is that that lack of interrogation does allow you to just stagnate in place mm-hmm. oh and I, I circling back uh but Aiden and zoe together i I love when they um they go out to the angel and you kind of expect, okay, this angel looks a lot, Zoe and the angel look a lot alike. Something great is going to happen here and the angel's eyes just light up and then it's kind of like, well, <laughs> like like there's no grand granting of knowledge at that moment. Uh Zoe tries to grab the rings and it's too heavy, and that's when Aiden has to ask for help But together I mean so he needs her help to get out there. I think she needed his help for wings to sprout. Something about yeah. that combination was necessary for her wings to finally sprout. But then still, once he's out there, he needs to still ask for help from the Dapper Man, uh and, and receive some help for, in order for uh for them to be able to save time. And again, we don't it, it's not explicitly well, this is made clear also what the,
1: um this is also one of the things that make, separates fairy tales and folklore. Folklore takes place in the real world and magical things happen. Fairy tales take place in a magical world. Where ordinary things happen. So like magic is just accepted as existing. And like. You don't have to question it. You don't have to explain it. When we see Zoe
0: in the last panel. And she's floating in the sky. And all of the chains are extended. Each one perfectly to make the clock face. Mm -hmm. With one through twelve. It's like. How are those extended now? Is she spinning them really fast? And we're just setting them in place. (laughs) Like. uh, And none of that gets answered. Yeah. Um. And I think that that is fine. There were one or two, like if I'm just going to pick any nits, because I really do enjoy the story. And I yeah. think there's something magical about reading it. There were a few places where like the panel transitions didn't work for me from like the action of where I was on one page and I turned the page and something else is happening. And I'm like, did some pages get stuck <laughs> together? There's just like one or two where I'm like, I needed like one other transitionary panel between these beats of action or uh, a word balloon to help smooth that. Um And I think this this was Janet Lee's first... Uh, graphic novel, I do want to say, she's doing fine. <laughs> like yeah, well, like and- Even as I say, like, there's one or two spots where I'm like, oh, that didn't transition quite right for me, and it pulled me out of the story. Like It made me question, yeah. am I reading this correctly? And there were also one or two panel constructions where um, my eye didn't know whether it was supposed to go to the right or go down, um, just because of the size of the panels mm-hmm. and where they were positioned next to each other, which is a super common thing to happen in comics, particularly with
1: new graphic yeah. uh, artists who, think, who were telling this kind of story. I think this was a, a real collaboration between Jim. McCannon mm-hmm. gently, where it wasn't that he gave her a script and said, Go do whatever you want, or even the Marvel method of here's the story, go create an images yeah. and I will t I'll put in the dialogue later. No, I think this was a full collaboration where he uh was guiding her in how to lay out pages and right. uh because he had the background comic books, uh she uh he found her from an art gallery. Mm-hmm. Uh, he saw some of her stuff and he's like, I want to work with her. Yeah. And so And it was decoupage stuff. Yeah. And so um I think it was a true collaboration with them where they were working together where, yes, she is providing the art, but he's helping with the layouts and how the comic book language works. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with these minor things, uh, it's uh, – she still has mastered a yeah. lot of the language that mm-hmm. um, n- young people or newbies learning. Like this is what they really, – like they really yeah. have to break down stuff and learn this yeah. and – there are a lot of artists out there who are not ready for prime time yet.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, and even um, like sometimes in uh, like published comics from mainstream no. things, there have to be notes to the reader to kind of guide their eyes yeah. or they have to pull out some. I mean, there's subtle ways that can
1: be done with a bag of tricks. Um, when point. I say like not ready for prime time, I'm talking about professional published artists with the big two. Yeah. marvel and dc
0: yeah where where sometimes there's even uh things that pull you out even more like these were minor hiccups that kind
1: of pulled yeah. me out of yeah, the yeah, there for like, a moment yeah like you said these are nitpicking things yeah. nothing to do with story mm-hmm. uh, just the flow of the story yeah exactly and just as in, in the
0: reader experience it made me pause and mm-hmm. stop being immersed and question how i'm consuming the
1: story i like oh well, i like you that know, this is really a immersive story mm-hmm. um a lot of times we're like we'll just read through the page and get enough to get the narrative here's one where You are really in the world where things like the, um, book pages in the background are matter, like give that texture that you don't get in some comic book art. And, um, I think it's one of the strengths of comic book storytelling
0: versus something like, um, film where Mm -hmm. I I 100% can see a film adaptation of this happening. I I won't be shocked if in my lifetime I'm able to see this story on the big screen, but, um, there are different strengths and weaknesses to those different styles of storytelling. And one thing you can do in comics is you can stop and look at an image for as long as you want. Yeah, you are and, in control of the pace. And there
1: are pieces here where you just stop and look at yeah. that page because it is a work of art.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Like there, there are individual panels and also whole pages that I just stopped to dwell on as a reader at my own pace because I was enjoying uh, the structure of the art. Uh, yeah, and, and, yeah. and
1: it's like sometimes the that page – barely has a storytelling element mm-hmm. but is beautiful <laughs> yeah and and sometimes it was like how did that get put together yeah. and sometimes it was just i want to look at that for a minute uh
0: with film time and the rate at which it gets consumed is in control of the, the filmmaker right? yeah. you know it's just it's gonna go by and um yeah outside you intervening with the art uh in an unnatural way you don't get to stop and enjoy yeah, how uh, an image is put together with a comic book that's completely part
1: of the art form is go at your own pace. <laughs> yeah, And this is – yeah, this is definitely one where you do slow down uh, and take in those pages. Uh, you're not rushing through just getting dialogue to get the story <laughs> or the narrative. You, it, it does – in the layout and also how the lettering is done, it does kind of force you to slow down. Because some there are a couple of those – Swirly hi- art well, that you sw- got to – Not only that, but there are a couple of those art pages where you – there are words embedded, but you're not sure where. You ta- yeah. you have to take a moment to find or, where the words are.
0: Yeah, or the words are like swirling in a pinwheel, and yeah. you kind of have to take the time to trace it and then also step back and appreciate the page as a whole. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, it is a different reading experience than even a lot of other graphic novels yeah. that I've read where you just kind of go along, <laughs> and yeah. that's it. Any final thoughts on Return of the Dapper Man?
2: Uh, no, not at the moment.
0: All right. Well, you had noted before we started recording that we first asked. Well, we first had you on as a guest about you know more than three years ago. Sometimes between three and four years ago, and you had a you answered the dinner guest question.
1: I can't remember who you said at the time. I wasn't very well prepared (laughs) at that time for the dinner (laughs) guest question. So I I just picked some characters. I think I had Link from Legend of Zelda and Batman. Mm -hmm. uh, So.
0: You want another I,
1: stab at it. I wasn't considering what would make a great dinner.
0: Okay. So, uh, yeah. I have to say, times the way the guests respond to this has cha- has evolved. Well, yeah. it's
1: also evolved because um, with the time it passed, uh, new media has come out. Mm-hmm. New yeah, ca- there's new characters. New characters, but also introduced to some things several times from this podcast. Um, or reminded of things mm-hmm. from this podcast. So... I've given this a lot of thought now, so I am prepared. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so, so you won't have a long pause of me figuring out what I want.
0: Alright, well, just a reminder for our listeners. The dinner Dinnergrass question is, uh, because we talk about great characters great stories, if you could have a dinner party with any three to five fictional characters, who would you want to join you for the dinner party just to enjoy the great conversation
1: that would yeah, take place? Yes, so I, I did try and consider what would create good conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since the first time I was on We've had a great comic book series called The Vision. Oh, yes. It reminded me that he is one of my favorite characters. Uh, my early, early comic book uh, reading, Vision and Nightcrawler were my two characters that I like the most. And so um, Vision number one. So
0: you, you really like those kind of just slightly othered characters. Human but treated well, as though they're not. You know, we will talk. I, <laughs> uh,
1: this will come up with the next one. So I want the Vision there. Okay. Uh, and I want that experience of outsiders looking in trying to understand humanity wanting to be human and yeah I, I especially as a teenager was really drawn to those character type of characters um and uh data from star trek next generation would be an obvious choice but we already have a an android, an android. so spock oh, will be okay. the next one uh bringing that outsider perspective but wanting to be in and so they could have a great conversation about humanity but they're also very intellectual characters, not you know a bit emotionless, let's mm-hmm. say. So you want someone who can bring that perspective, but also be passionate about it. the uh, pathos elements you were talking about before. The Twelfth Doctor, played by Peter Capaldi. Okay, uh, I know you haven't seen it. I've yet, not but... watched those, but I've
2: heard some yeah. rave reviews I, about his
1: performance. I, he is my favorite Doctor right now. I don't think he had the strongest stories, mm-hmm. but his performance uh, as bringing in elements of all the Doctors. Is my favorite. Okay, and so, uh but he's also one who will be very passionate and opinionated, and get angry about what Vision and Spock may be thinking, and tell them they're <laughs> wrong. So you need someone to help control that. Well, actually, before I get to that, you need someone who they're talking to. Like, yes, they can have great com- conversations among themselves, but you need someone who will spark this. Someone who will be asking the questions about what it means to be human and. Uh, all these things. That's Eleven from Stranger Things. Oh, good choice. Yeah. Good, good choice. Yeah, she will She will spark debate among them. <laughs> yes. But then you need someone who will bring control so that this doesn't get out of hand. There's only one man for that job. Ron Swanson from Parks and Recreation. <laughs> <laughs> he will get them in order right yes. away. Yeah, and he'll have some very uh, direct, he, direct opinions. He will have opinions, but he will wait until the right moment to bring him in. He won't talk a lot. He won't get into debate with them, but, but he, he pr- will make it. But with the types like he will make a valid point. Well, and he will also present his opinions
0: as fact and the end of the conversation. <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: That's it. He. Like, that's how he. He's will say. the finisher. He's yeah, the closer. He, he will say that topic's done. We're moving on now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I, I enjoy that grouping. So maybe we should have some of the other return guests see if they've uh re- revisited yeah, if they've encountered new or their...
1: media or yeah. discovered something old or just to have a this... different spin on it yeah or, that... or more have encountered more characters through this podcast yeah.
0: Uh, All right. Well, that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you like this episode, you may want to go check out episode number 79, when we talked about the comic book Bone, or episode number 128, when we talked about the fairy tale Momotaro. And I think I said that right, but I'm not 100%. (laughs) It's been a while since we recorded that episode with special guest Brandon Ushio. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us co- any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or us on Twitter. You can follow protagonist pod. Uh, jay dorowski or our producer andrew is at Diz minute and our facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast if you'd like to support the show financially you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist thank you again for listening and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story so long
2: Drew, I don't know where you are. (laughs) I don't know what you want us to do. We finished recording.